Where do I start? How do I train recall? How long should we work on healing before moving on? Is crate training really that important? We hear these questions all the time and there's one answer that will help with all of them. The complete step-by-step dog training course found at Standing Stone Supply. They break down the what, when, where, and how to train your own dog from eight weeks to one year old. They've got it all laid out for you down to even the daily activity checklist to keep you and your puppy on track. Check out standingstonesupply.com and remember to use code GDIY to save 10%. Being an upland hunter in the South nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20%. Don't confuse a dog and really think through the commands that you're going to do before you give them. And that's a big, and like you said, be quiet, very few commands. You're going to earn the respect of your dog and create more of those manners a little bit. And uh, it's just, it's a, I, I, I tell this all the time, I'd rather have an average bird dog with an average nose with really good manners. I'm going to kill birds with it versus a really great dog with a great nose and terrible manners. Guess what? I'm going to have a tough time. Why is it usually form or function when it comes to shotguns? You either hear about the looks or craftsmanship of this shotgun, while that shotgun over there in the corner hasn't been cleaned in two seasons, but supposedly fits and shoots like a dream. Why can't it be both? This is what Upland Gun Company does. They take your own personal measurements and will construct the very shotgun that should handle like a dream while getting you the looks and custom features that only you can decide on. Whether it's a side-by-side or over-under, English stock or full pistol grip, custom engravings such as your dog's portrait, even down to selecting the wooden grain on your stock. Head on over to UplandGunCompany.com and build the dream gun that you would carry in the field with your dog for many seasons. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode presented by Standing Stone Supply. My guest this week is the owner of Pine Ridge Grouse Company and co-founder of Upland Gun Company. How are you doing, Jerry Havel? I am great. We have leaves turning, and it was about 50 degrees this morning. Uh, Still have mosquitoes, but overall, it's been a great day, and we're getting closer. Fall seems to be in the air. You can at least feel it, maybe even smell it slightly in the morning. So I appreciate you taking the time on. I mean, this time of year when we're this close to hunting season, it's it's pretty hard to fit into people's schedule usually. <laughs> <laughs> I was up about a uh, couple nights ago, up till about 10, 30, 11 o'clock, trying to download all the new Garmin uh, downloads and make sure I got collars ready. So you, you fit what you can in during the day. Yeah, the checklist is never ending. You know, the Garmin collars, that's always good. Rechecking your med supplies and med kits. The the task list just never ends. I'm kind of concerned. Sure. I'm worried if I'm going to get all my stuff done before hitting the road next week myself. 
when I when when I was young and dumb, which some people say I'm still old and dumb, <laughs> but it was throw a gun in a car, you throw your dog in the car, box of ammo in the car, and you just hunted. Yeah. But now we we we've worked ourselves up to the collars, the first aid kit, the first aid kit for old people, uh, this, that, and fully illuminated whatever you need. And so <laughs> there's a lot more work than when I was younger, I'll tell you that. Right. It's ironic you you bring that up because I actually recently had a listener reach out on Facebook with a message talking about how he he's uh, concerned how some of uh, this generation's younger or, or the younger guys kind of re- have to rely on so much uh, advanced technology or a, a lot of stuff that you guys didn't have to in the past. I'm curious, what's your take? Do you do you enjoy the uh, what we have now with all the improvements in technology or do you kind of look fondly on the simpler time, so to speak? That, that's a great, you know, really, that's a great question because the technology, I look at fishing a lot of ways and how with the rods and the boats and the electronics, how anybody can't catch a fish, <laughs> right? believe it or not. Um, but but I run a dog bell and I, I pretty much run a bell my whole life. But the one thing that I really use and I really do appreciate is the GPS collar. Um, and the reason I say that is just takes that potential of getting a dog lost, uh, you're in a high wind situation. You're trying to turn that dog to the left and he can't hear you while you can see where he's going. I think that's probably the biggest thing that probably for us generational people, whatever, it makes a big difference. Um, you know, if you think about, I, we have this talk a lot of time with the gun company that if you look about 150 years ago, if you're hunting with a pointing dog, a bell, and a shotgun, double barrel shotgun, side by side. That's how they hunted 150 years ago. So for us, what's really technically, I think, changed is the GPS, which is a good thing for the safety of the dog, but really not much has changed. You can look at the clothing being all technical and the boots being all technical, but I think that's what attracts people to upland hunting, and it's still very, very basic. Yeah. Um, And like I said, if, if you're not using a GPS and you got a big running dog, you know, you have to explain that to your wife or to somebody that why you lost a dog. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I lost a dog or two over the years before GPS college became kind of commonplace. And it's, it's a, it's a crappy couple of days waiting for that dog. And we had a dog that a uh, pointer from Georgia come up and we lost it for two weeks, found him on the side of the road two weeks later, mm. you know? And, and so if you have that technology, takes a lot of worry and stress out of you so we're a lot better than most outdoor activities like i said fishing and the atvs and the e-bikes and all that stuff we're still boots on the ground and a dog bell and a dog and a gun so we're we're a lot lot better off yeah i, th- I think i would mirror that sentiment of of the tracking collar is more just so peace of mind you know i i feel like i'm pretty yeah. confident with uh all three of my dogs i could go out in the woods with just a bell or, and be just fine exactly but the peace of mind you, you you can't really put a price tag on that especially you know you come home to mama without that without her baby that's that's not going to be pretty i mean obviously we love our dogs and we we want to find them but you know that that price tag at home with mama <laughs> is going to be even greater <laughs> We, uh, I, uh, we guide obviously, and we have guys with all, they bring their dogs and he had a Bracco, I think a Bracco Italiano, like 13 year old dog. And, oh God, what the Max, I think his name was literally would get no more than 15 feet in front of you. There is no worry ever of losing this dog. Plus the guy put a bell on it and a GPS collar. <laughs> and I go, Jerry, you just don't understand. I said, 
but Sam, I mean, come on. But the, the peace of mind really is a big deal. You know, and it's not even about the e-collar for a lot of guys that have good finish broke. And I, I look at the world as grouse dogs. You know, I, I've got good grouse dogs. I know a lot of guys that good grouse dogs. It's not the e-collar part. It really is the tracking and locating Dog gets on a porcupine, dog gets on a deer, dog gets into a wolf, dog gets into a bear, dog, uh, their dog gets onto a road. I mean, there's a lot of ways that the GPS tracking collar can really, like you said, peace of mind. But if you had a dog that's 10, 15 yards in front of you, probably get away without a GPS. <laughs> probably, unless, unless they pick up. That's a true story, too, that I'm telling you. I'm sure. Story. I changed the names of protecting yep, us. Yep. Well, and I mean, to your point, you know, 15 yards, a close working dog, you know, as long as they don't strike up a, a random deer trail or something and and you have a decent recall, you shouldn't have to worry about anything. I'm, I'm curious with somebody with as many years in the grouse woods and, and your experience with grouse dogs as you, do you feel like maybe the tracking collar is taking away from the actual hunt, so to speak, while it may give us peace of mind, do you find it maybe takes away some of your focus or paying attention to what your actual dog is doing in the woods so much? You know, a little bit. And I, I, I see that when I help people train quite a bit, I, I see that there's just too much focus on this or mm-hmm. this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you put the training and the time in, you should be able to trust your dog. You know, I, we did a seminar with uh, Ethan Pippett from Standing Stone a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we talked about that. And I said, you know, a grouse guy sees this dog 20% of the time in the grouse woods. And so you have to trust that in the beeper collar or bell, you can kind of feel where that dog is going to be. So you're not constantly looking at your screen and walking into a tree like I've seen people do. Um, but, you know, the purpose of these grouse dogs is to find birds, to find, find birds that you're not going to step over or find. So I, I do see a lot of people do that. Um, I, you know, I, I tend to look, the only time I look at my GPS really is when I go on point. And I can say, all right, we got a point 40 yards that way. Let's walk to the West. And that, that's yeah. really about it. But I'm listening to the bell. And when I guide, I constantly, my eyes are constantly moving to where that direction of the bell is. So I can get a glimpse of that dog coming through, cutting across or whatever. And uh, that keeps me very focused, obviously, on the dog and what the dog's doing. Absolutely. And and a lot of, but part that goes back into the summer and the training on trusting your dog in the training process. You know, if you, like I tell people, if you give your dog an inch in the summer training, you're not going to see him in the grouse wood. He's going to take two or three feet. And two or three feet in the sun, in the, in the grouse woods is a flush lost bird. So you really got to spend the time to trust your dog in the training season where you can really focus on him in the fall and, and be more productive on birds. Yeah. That makes sense a little bit. Absolutely. It does because it, it is a common place, especially, you know, I was guilty of it when I first started is you kind of have to build up or kind of become callous to the fact that you're not going to see your dogs in the grouse woods, exactly. you know, and, and this is a challenge for, for a lot of people, again, myself included, when I first started, when you're training in a, in a wide open, just, you know, ankle deep grass field, you're always seeing your dog. And so you might think that you're prepared. Your dog is getting used to always being able to see you. Then you go in the grouse woods and you're wondering why all of a sudden your dog is sucked into you at, at your feet. Then when they do expand, you get a lot of nervous people to where oh, I can't see my dog and they're yeah. constantly looking at the screen and they kind of they kind of lose the actual uh, hunt. 
the hunt, the, the enjoyment of the hunt because they're constantly looking at a screen, which I, you know, I know you and I both don't really necessarily go out into the woods to stare at another screen. I think we get enough of that. Oh God, no. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, one, one point on that is when people start there, if they really want to develop a good grouse dog, um, you got to get them in the woods early, eight, nine, 10 weeks and walk, just walk in the woods, get lost, you know, because a lot of these grouse dogs too, believe it or not, we're pr- if you're a guide or you're hunting by yourself, you're pretty noisy in the woods and the dogs can pick up on that noise in the woods. So at, at, at we start our puppies here pretty young in the woods and then we transition the field. So they get used to, like you said, they get used to having that, all these trees and being a real closed, dark, weird type of new environment. And if you get them in the woods early and let them run around and you get lost, you purposely lose them for five, 10 minutes hide behind a big pine tree and let them come out. And then you start walking again, give them a call. And you know what? They're going to key on that, that sound of you walking in, in the spring or whatever you talking to your wife or your buddy in the spring. And then too, if you got a recall command, a hay or a hup or whatever at that young age, they're going to figure out, Hey, this is a, this is a big scary place. I need to work with, I need to work with Nick. So I don't get lost or I stick with them and, if he's going to make a, tar- a turn to the left and I'm 80 yards out and I give a hub command, he knows, hey, turn to the left. You know, and that you, a lot of that stuff you can do real early on. And so everybody gets a puppy. They want to get out in the field and play with the damn wing on a stick. Oh, my God, here's a puppy. They want to. I, I see it here when we train here, especially with some of the German guys. They want to get a retrieve right away without doing that core fundamental stuff. And that just makes a whole can of worms for a trainer that, oh, my God, we got the retrieve. They got a taste of blood. Oh, my God, we got to go back to the yard work and start over. Because, you know, dog training is A, B, C, D. It's not A to E, C to D, B to C, D, whatever. It has to be an A, B, C, D, E. There's steps to it, and, and that's kind of how I approach it. And But get in here, if you're to build a grouse dog, to get them in the woods early, even if it's in the summer and the spring, and get them lost, so they have to trust you. I mean, this is unlike a pheasant dog. I, I don't want to bag on pheasants or the prairie guys. I love prairie hunting. But, and again, I'm extremely biased. Grouse and woodcock hunting in woods is not, it's a team sport. Very much a team sport. And that's where you have to have that dog really in tune with you and and, and have the basic fundamentals. Yeah, I, I, I would echo pretty much everything you just said. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I get the privilege of talking to a lot of uh new people coming into it they get their first dogs and and they're kind of downloading and researching all all my back catalog of episodes you know what do i do what do i where do i start and i get a lot of them you know asking well what do i do for the field work you know they kind of know that we if they're going to be living in the house to start off with obviously the the house stuff the the potty training the crate training all that stuff but to your point a lot of people come into it just gung-ho because they got a bird dog they want to go do some of the sexy stuff everybody wants to see the puppy point yeah, it's Trust and me. We, we all we all love seeing a puppy point, but but they're honestly kind of caught off guard sometimes when I tell them exactly what you just said is like fun runs. I call them fun runs. Get out, let them get exposed to the hunting environment. New smells, new birds, new sounds, new everything. Expose them. Butterflies. Early. Yeah. Doesn't matter what. Expose them early and just go for a run. And and to this day, you know, even with my older dogs, while I love training and I love doing the hardcore stuff and advancing and, and doing, you know, che- checking off the list of my wish list, so to speak, on what I'm developing with my dogs, 
I still say the my most enjoyable thing to do is just to fun run them. Just go out, spend time with them in the woods, no distractions. And to your point, if you do that early enough with the puppy, that you're not going to lose that puppy. That puppy's going to come find you. Now, if you hold and wait too long and you start waiting until that dog is maybe 8, 10, 12 months and you got a lot of run and that dog's never been allowed to just go in the woods, that dog might might go for a joyride. <laughs> Here, here's my example. The old school guys used to don't let that puppy be a puppy till a year old. And you've heard that from a oh, lot yeah. of people. And, and I, my, I, I, my example to that is, um, I, we just had a new grandson, Milo, who's 15 months now. Now keep in mind my daughter and your daughter, you have kids, I think. Nick? Yeah. I have one daughter. Yeah. So you did not wait for a year old to read a books. No, no. You did not wait for a year old to talk to it or teach it. You didn't wait for a year old to let that baby just do whatever the heck it want. Same goes for a puppy. Why, why can't a, I mean, we, we teach, uh, we teach what I told you, but we, we, my wife, we, her and I, we get a litter of puppy. We take walks and I have a bag of birds and, and you talk about a fun run. We just, I'll have my wife walk in front. I'll plant a pigeon down. We'll call the puppies back and they'll flush the puppy or they'll flush the pigeon and chase it. Not at no commands. Then they'll come back and they'll start stopping. And I'll just say, whoa, half of them break half of them within three, four weeks. When that pigeon flushes every, every, all the puppies know I can't catch it, but I've introduced that word. Whoa. To them, no pressure. So if we do that with a puppy, we're still going to have the puppy still going to chase the grasshopper. It's still going to play with its tail. But you can still do some simple things like your own kid or for my my grandkid at an early age. We read to our babies when they're in a womb, for God's sakes. You know, we, you can do stuff at eight weeks with these dogs that we probably didn't think about before. And uh, we're not, and again, the key word is not to put pressure on them, not to put pressure on them. Just like you said, a simple fun run, but toss a pigeon, let it run, let it bust a pair. I mean, perfect. Let it point a robin. Who cares? It's pointing and it's doing something. So that's a great point when you tell your your listeners, hey, just let them be a puppy, but you can put a little structure in there because that'll help your training as you get further along, make it a little easier transition. Yeah. Essentially, it's just free shaping in the dogs. You expose them. You start You start kind of introducing the, the desire behavior. You know, you're, you're kind of putting in some boundaries, but you're really not. You're kind of letting them develop at their own pace. And like you said, they kind of learn – just from repetitions, what you just described with the pigeons and, and them just learning, well, I'm not going to catch that. And you just start introducing, whoa, that's that's reflective of Ethan Pippett's uh, positive pigeon drill. That, and that's how he trains, whoa, right? There's a there's kind of a million different ways. And, and you know, if we can do this with crate training in the house, if we can do this with potty breaking, if we can start doing it around the food dishes in the house, then we can definitely do it on our fun runs. Well, you know, and I'll go, I'll go back one step. It starts with good a good breeder and a good dog. Yeah, you know, I mean, really, all us trainers think we're all these magicians <laughs> sometimes or whatever. Really, you know what? All we are is a driver, and and we've got you know skills and skills that, like you said, you can go online and look at. But it really starts with a good pedigree, good breeding, and a good foundation. Um, you know, we've all helped people with rescue dogs or. And, you know, not all litters are good. I mean, not all littles are perfect uh, for what I need or what you need or whatever. But it really starts with that good, finding a good kennel, finding a responsible, good breeder with a good pedigree and, and you taking the time. I say that all the time, you know, yeah, 
find out how you want to hunt and find a good breeder and then then get that type of dog yeah that, that's that's really critical because you know i got guys that are uh that i've trained dogs for that are older guys but they want to they want a horseback they for some reason they end up with a horseback dog are you kidding me you don't need a horseback dog you're 75 and you got two new replacements you don't need a horse dog <laughs> you know but you got to really you got to think those through just because it's a got the name and the whatever you have to have to do your research because I mean, and I'm sure you've talked about it on your podcast. I mean, it's a 10 to 12, 15 year commitment. And if you're buying a, if you're a, a trail walker, maybe, maybe a horse trial point pointer, like uh, that, not going to work for you. Maybe a nice little Llewellyn, maybe a nice little short hair that you want to get off the trail or not, but it depends on how you want to hunt. And I, I tell that to people all the time, how you want to hunt, find a good breeder, find a responsible breeder. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, I didn't mean to, to go backwards out. on you, but. No, no, absolutely. It, it absolutely starts with genetics because that, that is the first step before you even get the dog is you have to find the dog to buy. And there's a million different considerations. Like you said, it kind of each their own. Everybody's going to have different individual goals and what they want out of their dog. Uh, I'm curious, like what, what matters to you when you start looking at a breeder? Like how much stock do you put in testing or trialing, if any at all? How much you put in stock of like w just word of mouth? I mean, what are you looking at when you start breaking down pedigrees? You know, uh, I'm a pointer guy. I know I know enough about the pointers, English pointers and setters. I'm not a big test guy. Uh, we're part of the NADDA group uh, up here in northern Minnesota. We have a chapter. They just trained last night. I understand the cover dogs. I understand the importance of the trials to help bring along the genetics and people can call, not only say call, but weed out the dogs and, and build that dog. A great book. If you ever want to read a book of Snakefoot, if you've read that mm -hmm. great book, uh, it, it talks about genetics and breeding and a little bit of marketing by Bob Welly, but it's a great book. Uh, yeah. But when I look at dogs and I'm, a, I'm fortunate enough that we have a facility in the kennel that I can kind of breed now my own stuff, what I need for guiding. And then we'll sell a few dogs here and there, but I tell you, figure out how you want to hunt. And, and really, it's important if you get a chance to watch the mother and the father, the male and the female, the sire and the bitch, whatever you want to call them, and see how they run. See the size. Look at their conformation. Look at the rear end. Look at the squareness. Look at the chest, their teeth, fitability, temperament. Uh, a lot of people who don't understand pedigrees are buying sight unseen, and they're getting surprised. You, you get, you know, again, People listen to you or buying nice dogs. You know, good dogs aren't cheap anymore. Like right. 50 bucks at the gas station. That doesn't happen. <laughs> um, but my, my point is you just have to look at the male and female, talk to the breeder, ask questions, and really figure out how you want to hunt. And and the big thing I think for most, most people I it, it's manners. I mean, manners comes a little bit in breeding where the dog is a real good temperament. And then and, and you got to create some of those manners or whatever. Um, but if you're looking for a high power, high octane out west dog, four or 500 yards, they're out there. Go to that type of breeder. So do that research on your pedigrees. Talk to people that know. Um, well, one thing about dog people, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's an expert. Um, so you got to talk to multiple people and then steal from, I don't say steal, take from them and kind of formulate formulate your own kind of thought process and what you want. Um, yeah. I like a, I like an English pointer that's 45 to 55, not real tall, not real long. I like a little smaller feet, a little bit. Uh, confirmation is a big deal for me. 
the whole body, the teeth, yeah, the bite is a big deal, uh, but confirmation. And then you go into the brains. I run LU pointers, and uh, it's it's a brain game. I mean, you you start with genetics, and and like I said, out of any rule, you're going to get a dumb one. So I've had dumb ones, <laughs> and like everybody has. But I want smarts. I want dogs that are going to think. I want a dog that's going to challenge me in the training process. Uh, and what I mean by that, I want, I want the dog to make mistakes. I want the dog to, uh, make mistakes so I can correct that dog. And every litter you're going to get a guy, I call them a gray area dog where they're really going to piss you off training. And we've all been there. <laughs> God, he did it perfect last week. Why in the hell, you know, and those are the dogs I like because those are the dogs. Once you get them figured out and they understand you, you got to kick, you got a great, great bird dog. And, and when I talk about smarts too, uh, I like dogs that I, I train on grouse, but we do do some prairie hunting where they can make that transition very, very easily and get out in range and get out and handle and handle those prairie birds a lot better. Quail, sharpies, and all that. I'm not a big pheasant guy for obvious reasons, but, uh, um, they can handle them too. But so those are probably the big criteria I look for is confirmation and brains and smarts, so to speak. Yeah. I think that kind of answers your question most people they get wrapped up in pedigrees a little bit um but if you if you go to a kennel and and want to buy a dog from from me or ethan or uh josh miller some of the other guys i work with ukanuba go to the kennel and look at the dogs i mean you can you can really learn a lot by looking at the mom and dad the female and then looking at other dogs you know and hey it's okay to get references from people hey yeah Hey Nick, there. I got. I'm picking up a dog from uh, Bob Bob Jones. What do you think? Oh God, I've had it. Bob's a nice guy. It's a beautiful dog, but see what I'm saying? People will be honest with you. So I mean, ask around. Absolutely. And and you said you you touched on a few you know golden things throughout throughout that. That I mean, to your point, like I was having a discussion with a buddy the other night. We we're drinking beer, and and you know how dog guys like you just said. There there's a there's an opinion about everything, right? So uh, we got to talking, and, and he was talking about how he's he's like, well, you know, everybody seems to get better, at, you know, the more dogs they have. And we we're talking about is it because they learn how to train the dogs, or is it because they kind of understand what they personally enjoy or look for in a dog, so that when they start looking for breeders and pedigrees, they have a better understanding of what they actually want, and so they set themselves up better for success out of the gate. And and his he was kind of on the side of it was a little bit of both and, and kind of that cop out. And, and I'm like, I get the understanding, having more knowledge on the training and developing piece, but it's still, to your point, starts with the genetics and the breeder and giving you that that first just head start because it, it isn't a, a 100% guarantee that you're going to have a great dog, even with doing your homework and knowing your goals, but it is a great head start. That's a great fireside bourbon discussion. I'm gonna, <laughs> two things on that. I get a kick out of people who, and, and it's typically the younger people that are getting into the sport. And I want to talk about that on our yes. notes later. Oh my God, this is the best dog I'm ever going to own. You've only had one dog. Right. I guarantee you the dogs you're going to have in the future are going to be better dogs. It's your first dog. And you're going to make, out of 100 mistakes, you're going to make every single one of them. It's going to be your smartest dog because he's going to forgive you a lot. Might not be your best yeah. dog, but that dog's going to forgive you. 
And as you do, like you said, you train more and, and you get, you find out the genetics and what you want. But another key component on that, and I think it's great that people go to clinics, they go to watch the videos, they go to NAVDA. I really think people become much better trainers on their own personal dogs as they progress through the steps of hunting and dog training by watching other people train. And I'm going to preface this by shutting their mouth and watching. You're not there to comment. I'm not here to comment on Nick. What are you doing this for? Nick's learning that for himself. If Nick, if Nick asked me a question, I'm going to answer it. But for a new person, shut your mouth and watch Nick and Elaine and Bob train because you learn how to read a dog. Why did why did Nick make that command there? Why that doesn't make sense to me? Or you know, Nick's over here looking at that cover and the dog's going to the left 100 yards. You're, you know, why isn't he watching his dog or why didn't he make a correction on this point? Or, you know, you can, or, or timing is a real good thing where you can learn from other people. Um, timing and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not prediction. What's the word for, for prediction? Um, uh, the anticipation. Anticipating. Yeah. Yeah. You can learn a lot about anticipating for your own training by watching other people, you know? And, and so I think when people get these dogs and they develop better, they get better dogs. They're learning more, they're reading more and training more. Their training does get better. But I'll tell you, um, we all make mistakes still. And again, that's a those are you know, and and I, I tell people, wow, I will train and help people, and uh, something goes wrong and they didn't make a command and they're saying 18 commands in three seconds, then let's just take a break. <laughs> well, the dog right. run, let's let the dog run, we'll get him back. Let's just and I'll do a little Zen moment. So let's just take a deep breath. We're dogs here. You don't need to get upset. We don't need to get panicky. But uh, that would be my two things. Watch other people, observe, and anticipate. And again, keep your mouth shut unless you're asked. That's just courtesy. And then two is you, your, your first dog's not going to be your best dog. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, your first dog is going to be your most forgiving dog. And I yes. tell people, really, if you're looking into pointing dogs and stuff, start with the short hair. Short hairs are very good dogs, super smart. And I'm not a short hair guy, but very, very forgiving. And for somebody that wants to learn how to train a pointing dog, that would be a good dog to start with. Yeah, it's a, it's a great starting dog. I mean, that's what I did myself as well. And uh, it, for all the reasons you just said, I think that is the true value in something such as a NAVDA chapter. You know, 100%. But you, you know, you see people on Facebook and social media and all that stuff. Hey, I just got a dog. What, you know, puppy brand new. What do I do? And so many people in the comments go find your local NAVDA chapter. And some of them kind of get beat up on there. If you look at it to where some people that got involved in NAVDA, maybe they're a little callous that, you know, they got burned a little bit. They're just like, oh, I hate NAVDA. I'm like, you're kind of missing the point. I, you know, within every organization, you're going to have pros and cons to it. There, there are certain things within NAVDA I don't personally, you know, I'm not particularly fond of. But the true value in the chapter is it opens you up to help and see so many different dogs in different yep. breeds and different scenarios with people com- with completely different goals. And the fact that they're spread out all over the country, if you're traveling, you can try out different chapters. And so, like, I don't think that you can really kind of uh, discredit the value of a quality NAVDA chapter more so than just the resources. I know a lot of people exactly. get involved just because they have birds and launchers and equipment, but the biggest payoff is going and not even training your own dog, but getting involved and helping the others train their dogs because you're going to see 20 dogs as opposed to just your one. I train, we train some dogs. I train the handler more than I train a dog. Mm-hmm. And and that's something that you can learn from like NADA by observation and watching. 
um, planting birds or helping with the launcher or, you know, it, it really, that's a big part of becoming a good uh, do-it-yourself dog handler is just watching other people. You can learn from other people's mistakes. And, and again, I don't want to keep harping on, keep your mouth shut, but <laughs> you know, you, you, you really need to, because you know what, those people are going through the same process that you are. And if, if I say, if you come to me and say, Hey, Jerry, what, what did I do wrong there? I mean, I mean, if you're, if I'm watching, you know, Nick, I would have, I would have probably made a correction a little earlier to turn that dog around instead of getting it out too far. Or, you know, I would have woed them earlier. Well, there's a lot, but, but have them ask you, because again, it's supposed to be fun. They're learning too. And so you can't say Nick is here. I mean, what a, why did he, why didn't he woe that dog? You know? And people don't want to hear that, you know, and that's, that, that that's dog training is supposed to be a fun activity. Yeah. And that, that's how it's got to be looked at. Absolutely. I mean, it, that's something that I've really been focusing in on myself this year with my own dogs is number one, training silent. I have the privilege. I've been in the classroom with some great trainers and breeders from all over the country and historical names in the industry. And the, one of the common threads from trainer to trainer is stay quiet, be quiet, train silent as much as possible. Everybody has their different kind of methods. My favorite, my, we don't need 18 hears or comes. We need one. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I, I tell one of my lines is when we're helping people, I said, dogs really can't understand simple sentences. Hey, Bobby, or uh, hey, Bingo, come on now. Come on, Bingo, find a bird. Come on, here, bird. whoa, boy, come here. Dog doesn't understand that. Dog doesn't understand paragraphs. Right. So let's not give them a paragraph verbally. Yeah. You know, bingo here. That's it. Bingo here. Yep. That's it. That's so that's all that's needed. <laughs> it's it's uh, the uh when we give a lot of extra words, it does the dog that then teaches the dog to blow you off. Well, and I tell everybody is like put it in terms of most people prefer things in a simple format. You know, we understand things when it's simple why people think that dogs prefer explanations out in the field rather than keeping it simple, it's kind of beyond me. But, you know, it, it seems like by me getting more silent in how I train and work with my dogs, they pay better attention to me. Earns yeah, respect they, they respect me. They pay more attention to me even when I'm not communicating to them. And it just seems like I've had a lot more, you know, involved teamwork out in the field and it's transferred in the house with not just me, but my wife as well. It's just, yeah, it, the, manners. the manners and it's truly, you know, we, I can honestly say that my dogs inside the house and traveling, it's that they're definitely a lot more enjoyable. And so they get to go a lot more places with me now and not that they are ever kind of misbehaved, but I realize going around and watching these people that really know what they they're talking about and doing with dogs is I was talking too much, even when I thought I wasn't. You learn that by watching other people sometimes too. And I tell people, literally, there's a only there's a few commands that we need, really, not many. You can add, you know, 10, 15, whatever. But I mean, here, I use here, uh, cut through the wind better, uh, wall, hop is my turn command, leave it. Uh, and then um, what's the other one? Oh, oh uh, heal. You know, and, and I tell people all the time, be, before you before you make a command think what you want to do but a lot of times oh well people want a, a turn command and they'll say whoa well what, what does whoa mean whoa means stop but you didn't want to stop yeah so now you're you know and then, then all of a sudden oh I, I mean my turn command or my whistle you have to don't confuse the dog and really think through 
the commands that you're going to do before you give them. And that's a big, and like you yeah. said, be quiet, very few commands. You're going to earn the respect of your dog and create more of those manners a little bit. And uh, it's just, it's a, I, I, I tell this all the time. I'd rather have an average bird dog with an average nose with really good manners. I'm going to kill birds with it versus a really great dog with a great nose and terrible manners. Guess what? I'm going to have a tough time. And I don't know when we speak or whatever, I, I always like to say this. I said, take the time the first two years for the yard work and the woe and the manners. You're going to have a great bird dog for the next eight to 10 years. If you don't take the time the first two years to establish the foundation, you're going to have a very frustrating eight to 10 years when you hunt. You have to have that foundation. Yep. You train the short grass so that you can go in the tall grass and enjoy it. Exactly. And then we've all hunted with guys that hammer on their whistle, that hammer on the command, and it's not enjoyable. It's not enjoyable. And it's just, it is what it is. Well, I, th- I think I think a lot of people, and you can speak to this a lot more than I can, being that you get to guide a lot of new people coming in. You get to experience as those first-timers in the woods much more than I do. I take somebody new out every year, depending on where I'm at, but not to the degree that you do. But I think a lot of people have the misconception that you have to control the dog. And and you really don't. If you have the dog and the training and the manner set up properly, you just go let them rip and then you go to the dog. That's kind of the whole purpose. But especially newbies, they go out there and they think that they're supposed to be turning the dog, quartering the dog, blowing the whistle, hacking this. They think if the dog goes on point, you have to give them a whoa and, and all this stuff. And like, the, the longer you stay in this and the more competent dogs you see and the more competent hunters you get to watch and experience, yep. the, the more you learn, like the looser your grip gets on the hunt, the more enjoyable it is. It's just kind of a nice ebb and flow with the dog. We don't need to micromanage a hunting dog. We do not need to micromanage. And what I mean by micromanage is what you, exactly what you just said. Every 30 yards, I got to turn that dog. Every 30 yards, I got to turn that dog. I have to have it checked back every 10, 15, every, excuse me, four minutes. I have to watch my GPS. Oh, my God, it's 45 yards and not 40. What do I do? And let them be dogs. I mean, these these dogs, there are maybe a couple more chromosomes away from a wolf. <laughs> yeah. But they're hunting, they're hunting dogs. Let them do what they're bred to do. Let them hunt. And, and you can't. Yeah. There are times when you have to micromanage once in a while. Uh, but, but very, very rarely and let them be dogs. And and I think part of that comes with new people coming in, it's just a confidence deal. And if they can, I know one of the things we're going to talk about is mentorship. If you can find somebody like a NAVDA group or a buddy or, you know, an older guy that can help you. A lot of that is just having, you know, having somebody stand behind you when you're hunting, when you're training to say, Hey, Nick, man, cool it. Nick, shut up, Nick, shut up. We can do that. And that, and sometimes people need that a lot of times. It's just, we got to tone it down and be reminded of that. And it kind of goes back to why are we out there? Not to sound philosophical at all, but we all want to kill birds and all that. But, you know, we're out there to see the dogs work. We're out there to see the birds. We're out there to see the aspens quiver. We're out there to see a beaver dam. You know, and if you look at hunting like that and not about the kill or the birds or the bags and I think a lot of that, and again, that's an evolution for people getting into hunting is I got to hunt at sun up to sunset and I got to get my limit. Well, you no, know, you don't. And that you just need to go out there and hunt and be relaxed and enjoy the dogs. I mean, I would not walk through a grouse woods by myself. 
no God, there's no way in hell I would do that. I'll go through hell and back if I'm watching a dog on point. To me, that's pretty damn awesome. So make sure it's enjoyable. Make sure it's fun. And, and again, less talk and, and just enjoy it. I mean, enjoy it. Dude, put, got to put the work in. Got to put that work in. Absolutely. Yeah. And like you, you know, I, I try not to over romanticize the experience too often, but it's hard not to be romantic about it when you figure out what you particularly enjoy in in the adventure. And that's kind of how I look at it to where I personally don't get the same enjoyment out of it, I would say, in a lot of a lot of the ways that the average person might. You know, it's like the dog work is paramount to me. I love yep. the entire experience for what it is. But if my dogs aren't included, if I don't shoot the bird over a point, there's something that's missing for me. And I'm not taking away from the guys that like to shoot wild flush birds no, or go out with, and footwalk. That's their hunt. But I also kind of point out to people, I get, I get claimed uh, or, or I get told by a lot of people, sometimes I take it too serious when I'm out there. And I'm like, eh, yeah, you know, maybe to you, yeah, I, I can see that. But at the same time, like, that I'm chasing an experience and a reward with the dogs and the teamwork. And without that, I'm not going to say the hunt meant nothing to me because I'm still out there doing what I enjoy yep. doing and, and attempting. But it, it definitely is lacking in a lot of ways without ex that experience because, to your point, I've come away, I've shot a lot of birds across the, the country, and some of my better hunts that people would think would be the ones that I shot limits out in Montana. No, it's the, it's the walk that I went, and I just got beautiful dog work, and I got that one experience with the point and the retrieve, and it just put a bow on it. And it's it's hard not to be romantic about it. So uh, there are two things. One thing, I, I we do a safety talk before we guide, and it kind of goes back to dog training, too, those first two years I talk about. You know, if you really want a good bird dog, you know, don't shoot busted birds, only pointed birds, and wild flush birds, you know, that's up to you, whatever. But I tell everybody, we everybody that owns a dog, 99% of the people, come see me, go to the hunting lodges, pay for a trainer. Every one of us can afford chicken. <laughs> right. We don't need to shoot that wild woodcock flush just because. Let your dog point it or that grouse or the pheasant or the quail or whatever. We all, all can afford chicken. And then, and that kind of puts it in perspective why we're doing it a little bit. We're, we're not here to feed our family. We're here to have fun and see good dog work. And then the other, the other the, the story. So every year, one of my guides, Stephen Faust, uh, Stony Brook Gordon Setters, he's got great Gordons. I, I think they're great Gordon Setters. Him and I try to hunt every day, at least a half a day every year. We we each take one of our best dogs and we just walk some covers. We're kind of scouting. We just walk some covers and we we're I don't even know why we carry a gun, but we do. And <laughs> so and I, I and Stephen will tell the story differently than I will. But uh, so we get up there and we're way way back into this corner. And my dog goes on my English pointer goes on point and his Gordon Setter is backing. His story is his Gordon Setter goes on point, but my pointer is backing. But the truth is my pointer is pointing. His setter is backing. Right. Trust me. He'll, he'll argue. And, this, you know, and you see a big old rough grouse, man. That's like shooting a 10-point buck, I think. Right. And this big grouse just gets up. The dogs are steady to wing, steady to flush. And this grouse 20 yards away comes crossing wide open, a few aspens wide open. It's kind of a hazy day, a little dark, and this bird just comes right up in front of us, crossing shot, 25 feet in the air, dead bird. We didn't even pull the gun up. Yeah. 
we just sat and watched it, looked at each other. The dogs are still pointing, you know, watching where the flush is, sitting right there. And and we both look at each other, we both smile, and we both say, that's, I mean, that's what we're here for. I mean, yeah. that, that's the beauty of the uplands, and I, I think grouse and woodcock hunting or any upland hunting, but that moment there will never be forgotten, you know, for us. But it was about dog work. Uh, and a, a similar experience to where like a story that really stands out, I, I get asked sometimes like, what's my favorite story in the grouse woods? And it, it didn't even involve me shooting a bird. And what it was is I, I had Lucy at the time uh, was a pup. It was her first season in the grouse woods. We were in Wisconsin and and my longtime best friend growing up with, he, he's not an upland hunter per se. He goes out on occasion, but he's a lab guy, duck hunter. And he was just joining me for a walk. We're taking the, this puppy out. We're going to see what she does. And, and, uh, we just ended up, it was, sun was going down. We're approaching legal shooting time. And, uh, we actually had a few woodcock, pretty good walk with her. But the experience that I had that followed is we were on, I was unloading the shotgun. We were about to start walking out and all of a sudden she goes on point. And then you've seen it to where a young dog gets bird drunk. She gets bird drunk. And all of a sudden, these birds just start flushing everywhere. And I have, I mean, it, it, it was 40, 50 rough grouse just shooting all over this cut that we were in. And me and my buddy are just looking around at all these grouse flushing. I look down and my pup is about to have an aneurysm because of all these birds flying around. And it's just those experiences like that you're not going to get when you're on the couch. And it's just, it doesn't even involve shooting one of those birds. It's just, you got to get out there and go find them and see what happens. It's like I said, it's just, that's the, that's the stuff we want and do, you know, that's uh, that's good stuff. So when, when you do have new people coming in and you're giving them the, you know, we have chicken at the grocery store, pep talk at the, at the start of it. Safety talk. Yeah. Safety talk. Uh, what, What's kind of their reaction to that? You know, we talk about mentors and everything. How often is this their first exposure to actual rough grouse hunting? We don't get we don't get a lot. We get we get some bucket list guys that this is their bucket list hunt. Okay. They've shot all the quail. We get some of those guys a little bit, and we get guys that are really unexperienced on how I don't want to say properly do it because there's really no right or way, but you know, we do it old school, so to speak. You know, two guy, two hunters and a guide and multiple dogs, you know, fresh dogs all the time. Um, really, it's how you present it. And I really think most hunting should be presented this way. It's not, it's, it's not about, and again, I'm not going to bust the feathering guys that have taken a bus and walk in a field and 15 guys and you got five stock or what do they call planners at the end or whatever. Or the blockers. blockers. Yeah. Uh, I showed you how much I feathered hunt that type of stuff, but <laughs> um you know, people, if you explain it, if, if, here's what I think. If you're passionate about something and you explain your passion for what you do, people get it. And I, I'm i not good at very many things. I'm very passionate about Pioneer's Grouse Camp and my dogs and grouse and woodcock hunting. Uh, and I, I, I hope that comes across. And guys, you know, guys get it. You know, and, and that's part of that's part of me telling them, listen you miss you know what one thing you know well my rule of thumb is we have no auto loaders or pump guns allowed in camp you can't hunt here if you have a over and under side by side well why is that well why do you need three shots you don't well well, i said no the bird deserves a chance to win i say that everybody uh you know we'll i i only do one reflush so we'll point a bird we'll miss the grouse 
I got a good idea where it went, 100 yards away. We'll go up there. We'll let it sit. We'll point it again. We'll play the whole flush 50 yards away. And my guides, my people, I'm going, hey, let's go get it. We're done. We had two chances to beat that bird. He beat us. So guess what? We're done. Yep. You know, oh, 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 no, the bird deserves a chance to win just like we deserve a chance to win. And again, that sounds kind of corny or whatever, but I really, really believe that, that, that I think they're the greatest game bird. Uh, woodcock, we got young dog. That's a little different story. We always taste it. We only shoot pointed woodcock, no wild flush woodcock. Right. Um, but anyway, but, but, if you tell that story and you just say, Hey, listen, these birds have been around a hell of a lot longer than we have. And, you know, starting September 15th, we're chasing them. Keep in mind, box are chasing them. Owls are chasing them all year round. And then we got to go, they got to survive a winter and it could be a really crappy winter. And then where all these guys are training dogs in the damn spring, bumping them around all the while the wolves and the fox are chasing them. Then you got the summer heat. They're still getting chased by everybody. 365, they're getting chased. And and that's why we don't, we don't, after two, after two attempts, we're done. And that's kind of my own personal rule. Um, and then like I said, I, I keep track of all my covers and how many grouse I pull out of there. Uh I if we have a cover that really I, I kind of limit myself to two to three birds in that cover, knowing somebody else was probably going to be there. So I want to protect. I want to protect the birds that are in there. And if I go in there every other week or I pull two birds today, five birds tomorrow, well, guess what? We don't have birds next year. So those are some of the, un, the kind of unwritten rules that I follow for myself. And I really encourage people, whether they're pheasant hunting, prairie hunting, quail hunting, you know, maybe you only take two or three birds out of a, of a covey or, you know, maybe on woodcock, you know, later in the migration and you've got your old dogs down and you got a woodcock that gets up and sits 10 feet. Guess what? We don't need to shoot that bird. That poor poor guy's got about a fifteen hundred mile flight flight coming up to be, you know. And so I would really tell people put some put some of your own ethics into it. One, it's more enjoyable. I think you feel good about yourself. It's better for your dog too, a little bit. I don't know. It's just that, like I said, it, it's how we look at it here at Pioneer a little bit. And but going back, if if you tell that story, people really get it. And and. Uh, you know, and if you're if you're hard charging and running through covers, guess what? So are your guides, and that that tells them you want to kill a bunch of stuff. Yeah, we want to have a good time. Get in the woods safe. Get out of the woods safe is probably the biggest thing too. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, th- there's so much of that. I mean, and that's a that's a very important lesson. I I would argue kind of more important today than I would suspect in in years past, especially with you know, habitat being what it is on the decline, bird populations in random regions uh, on the decline, you know, some are holding strong. But if you don't leave that seed and and walk away, understanding that it is okay to quote unquote lose or let the bird win on occasion, you know, that that's something that we really do need to do a better job passing on to the next generation of hunters and, and new beginnings. And that's that kind of goes right on into what we uh, what we want to touch on with when it comes to mentoring and not even just mentoring, but yeah. the the social group that you keep within who you hunt with and how you hunt. All of that stuff matters because, you know, there is bigger stuff going on out in those woods than just us having a, a quote unquote successful hunt or coming away with birds. I, I want to read this quick to you. It came to me today. The guy that hunts with me, uh, older gentleman from Michigan and uh, just had a knee surgery and a 
heart attack during it. And it kind of goes what we're talking about. He goes, October, grouse, loyal, beautiful bird dogs, bourbon, grouse guns, and good friends. That's what makes our life. And and uh, like he said, he's got he doesn't have many ahead of him. And uh, he used to say, yeah, next year, next year. But you got to you have to think about that passing on a little bit. And and uh, he's got a longer email talking about that phrase that he wrote. But that's just like really October is once a year. And and good, like you said, good people, good friends, great dogs. That's what we live for. So, yeah, that's a good quote. I'll, I'll send that yeah. to you. Absolutely. Please do. I'll, I'll throw that in the show notes because, I mean, it, it is important, you know, and, and again, not to not to muddy the waters and what we were talking about earlier and involved or, or as it pertains to like hunt your own hunt. Everybody's goals are different. But at the end of the day, if we don't take care of the resource and and we're fair to the fair to the birds in the population and we leave seed for next season, you know, how long do we get to do this? How long do we get to chase these birds with our dogs, especially with development being what it is and, and that pavement, you know, growing yep. more and more every single year? It is imperative that we do put an emphasis on letting the bird win sometimes. I have a grandson, like I said. I want to go hunt with him in 15 years. I don't want to drive four hours to go hunt with him. I want to hunt like we hunt now. And that that leads me into going, you know what? Join Rough Grouse Society. Join Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever. Join the organization, Sharp Tail Society. Minnesota's got a great Sharp Tail group. If you only can give 15, 20 bucks, it's still going to help. So, you know, like I said, we have to invest in what we love. And uh, that's a big deal. That's a, that's a big deal to get to give back a little bit. If, if it's only shooting a couple birds to cover, if it's giving a hundred bucks to Rough Grouse Society, if it's going to a Pheasants Forever banquet or quail, you were at a quail banquet, I know with my partner, Dan, give back somehow, you know, um, so it's a great sport. And it's a great, I tell people all the time, I said, I'm kind of boring. I don't go golfing. I don't play poker on Friday night with the boys. I don't bowl. Uh, I used to ice fish a lot. I live pretty a boring life of dogs, grouse, and and uh, guns, and that's kind of what I do. So I'm not throwing money away at, like I said, losing 100 bucks at the roulette table or whatever. So give back money if you can. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I echo that. I, I try and encourage everybody to even show up. Your time is your exactly. most valuable resource. So show up, whether... That is kind of attending a banquet to where maybe you're not the most social person, myself included, go into a banquet, but maybe show up to the, those work days. Maybe show up to yeah. that local burn at your your game agency. You know, sh just show up and help out if you don't have the money, which like you said, 10, 20 bucks goes a long way. That's but also Starbucks. Yeah, exactly. But then also, you know, if you, if you can't afford the 25, 30 bucks, you know, see if you can do some more outside of just monetary donations. Go yeah, give your exactly. time if you can. You know, there's more to it than just signing up and giving $35 and getting, you know, whatever in return, a, a knife from RGS or something. Exactly. That's better. To me, that's yeah, better. Even, abs yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, when we talk about mentoring and social groups, it, it's it's important to recognize just Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. That's It's a great example of just the the fellowship you know i think that word kind of gets thrown around a mm -hmm. lot a lot of times but i haven't even been able to witness pine ridge grouse camp in person yet all i hear is stories i recently read uh grouse country by art wheaton which it, you know had a had a yeah. number of stories from pine ridge and i truly like it's 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 institutions i don't know if that's a fair word such as that that need to stick around to 
to go back to our previous point, mentor the next generation and you have those fireside chats to where they realize it's not just people on a soapbox or trying to be over overly romantic in a, in a written article or something. It's like, no, these are real people that just like you just described yourself, quote unquote, boring. I would argue that's an exciting life. That's that's the quality that I want uh, to have. And so, <laughs> Talk to me on Christmas Eve of my kennel drains clogged. We'll, we'll talk then. <laughs> call me up. Yeah, call right. me then. Will well, that's not boring. It may not be uh, enjoyable, but it's not boring. <laughs> no, it's not boring. You know that that's a good point. And and there there are places like like Pioneer's Grouse Camp out there and uh, that are genuine places. I think, and I like to say that. And one of my examples is 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 we'll get all different types of people here. Um, obviously the, the big money guys and we got the bucket list guys that, you know, ooh, that that's expensive, but I want to do it. And I heard you're the best place to do it. Uh, we'll have guys that are running oil rigs, hanging out with a doctor and, and was really, I'm pretty proud of it. We're sitting around a fire and these two guys that are really from different worlds, different backgrounds, different lifestyles, totally different are sitting by the fire, laughing, talking, having a drink, united by bird dogs and grouse and guns. To me, that is the, the coolest thing in the world, uh, to, to witness that and to see that. And it, 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 really, it does make me uh, pretty happy and proud to do that. And it's just, it, it gives you a little bit of faith in humanity that people can kind of get, even if you're different people, you can still get along a little bit. And, uh, and and be brought together by a common month of the year, a common bird, a common, you know, side-by-sides or over-and-unders and the dogs. You know, it doesn't care what breed. We we do get some good good uh, discussions about breeds all, uh, after two <laughs> bourbons, not after one, but after two. But uh, and that's a little bit of the mentorship. And then, um, but yeah, we like I said, we don't, I don't take myself seriously. My wife, she helps run the camp. She doesn't take herself seriously. We're here. It's my, I tell people, Hey, my vacation too, man. I mean, yeah, we're allowing you into our little world. And I always tell people, here's the deal. I'll get you your first beer. You get your second beer. The bar's right behind the counter and people like, you know, people want to be felt at home and they don't, they don't want the, you know, we, we eat really well and we drink really well, but we don't, we're not over the top, ostentatious and, uh fancy fancy i mean we got guys that are come back in a nice khaki pants and you got guys literally coming in from the woods sitting by each other at the dinner table you know so uh that's a little bit about pine ridge but yeah we we try to do a lot of mentoring um we if, if some a hunter wants to come with their son or daughter who's under 18 they come for free uh it's a way that we give back a little bit uh um uh, we do some stuff like i said with the navda and uh, we try, we take kids out. Every, I have uh, a single mom a year or two ago calling me and said, Hey, my son's showing interest in bird hunting. Can you help me? Just, can you drop them off here by seven o'clock in the morning? Have breakfast. We'll take care of it. You know? So we've done some stuff like that. We just, whatever, whatever happens, we'll do, you know, whatever happens, we'll do. The, the mentoring is really a tough, it's, it's, it's a really, I've talked to my buddy, uh, your buddy, Nick Larson, a little bit. The mentoring's a tough deal, uh, and I'm going to tell you why, in my opinion. You've got guys like me that are – are have. I've been in the grouse woods for 40 years, literally, 
and I've been I've been handling dogs since I've been twelve. I've had my hands on the thousands of dogs. I've seen thousands of grouse, whatever, and been around guns my whole life. So we there's some built-in knowledge here. And but even with the old, I don't want to say the older guy. I don't want to use that word, but older hunters. All right, and we got a lot of new people coming in that don't know what we know and think we've rediscovered the wheel, or they think they've rediscovered the wheel. Follow them going with me with this. Part of that's with social media, a lot of the social media, but I appreciate what you're doing is getting everybody's perspective on it, and and it's not it's not the younger people getting the sport that has a problem. I think it's older people wanting to share what we know to a guy like you or Nick Larson or other podcasts or newer hunters or whatever. And 10, 15 years ago, it'd be frustrating because you'd see some of the comments. He's wrong. No, no. And you just, and you kind of, you kind of come back a little bit, but then if you're, then you think about it a little bit and say, they need help. They want to learn. They have to learn. And he's going to be me 20 years from now. Does that make sense? Yes. And and so I try to tell the some of my friends that complain or bitch about the, oh, my God, did you see this guy trying to do that with that dog? And what a blah, 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 blah. I said, well, you know what? One thing, he's trying. Two, he's proud of what he's doing. You can't criticize somebody for that. But if you, if you feel strongly, send him a private message. Be nice. Hey. Why don't you try it this way next time? Or, hey, check out, I uh, listened to Nick's podcast and he was doing the woe table with a guy in there. Or go check out Ethan on some of his videos. Might be a different way to do that. Or, you know, you see the guys that come through hunting and that's where it goes with that passion. You know, I I can help, we can help those people. Us older hunters need to do a better job of helping. Somebody equated my experience levels here, your experience is here. You're afraid to ask me questions because I'm up here and it shouldn't be the fact And I I'm afraid to help you because I'm here and you're here. That's pardon mm-hmm. my French. We, we, there should be none of this. And if I have something I can help you with to make you a better outdoors person, a better, a better mentor, a better leader in the Upland community, I, I owe it to you to do it because believe it or not, somebody did it to me a long time ago. Art Wheaton, for one. I mean, I've been hunting with Art forever. Didn't have to say a lot, but showed me the right way to do things. And that's where I think, because you you know what I'm talking about, some of these battles between older trainers or old, you, oh, hear, yeah. you probably hear it more than I do. And it's and it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's a real thing. And I think you you younger people need to be more open a little bit and not rely on the social media stuff. And we all make our living on social media, but people like me and my friends need to, hey, you know what? Take the time to listen and help a little bit. And two reasons for that. One, you're gonna, you guys are gonna be the stewards. I mean, we all talk about it. Oh, next generation. You know what? And then the R3 thing, I get sit. They've been talking R3 since the 80s when I was at Remington. Right. And it's like, whatever, guys, do something. But I can do something on my own with you. You can do something on your own with them. Do it, do it micro steps. If it takes me helping somebody train a dog for an hour or two every other week, I should do that. And and I can, you can make a difference one person at a time. And again, this is all cliche, but I think it's really important in our sport, uh, especially the upland sport, because the barrier of entry in upland hunting is so small. You borrow your dad's gun, you get a free orange hat, a box of shells, and a license, and you can walk. And you can walk train tracks with any. It could be a damn 
I've got two Bernice Mountain Dogs. I can hunt with a, so you think about the barrier entry versus other hunting sports. We're the best to get people into hunting overall. And that's my job and that's your job. And and we have to break that barrier to protect that because you guys are going to be stewards here in 20 years. And 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 yeah. two, another thing, I don't know if you've talked about it, but when you buy a brand of ammo or a gun from me or whatever, you guys are spending money on Pittman Robertson. That's a big deal. We don't talk about that enough that yeah, you got these gung-ho guys that are all of a sudden after one year, they're professional trainers and they're buying a dog trailers and they're doing this and that. I shake my head at that a little bit and they're giving all this advice, but they're buying ammo, they're buying guns, they're 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 giving back. I think it's funny, but yet I look at it, they're giving back. They might not know they're giving back because they haven't studied or know anything about Pittman Robertson money because all of a sudden they're professional after a year, but it's still a good thing. So the mentor thing, it it uh, it's so vital, especially in our upland sport. And and uh, like I said, I know ten years ago, or I, not that I had a problem with it, but I, I try to talk to people about it. And I really think women, for women too, it's a bigger deal as well. Talking to a great friend of mine uh, that was invited on a hunt, and 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 uh, you know, you're not trying to if you're a man and inviting a woman to a mental hunt, you help that. You're not trying to prove anything. You're trying to help. You know, let's not run her through the thickest cover type of stuff, or even kids. But mm-hmm. I don't know, that's my soapbox on mentoring. I don't, I don't know if it makes sense or not. If you have any questions, ask yeah. me. But it really is a big deal because I think it's it's vital for our our upland community to because I think we're the foundation to get other people to hunt in a lot of ways. Right. So, and so much of that, I mean, not to be too much of an echo chamber here, but a lot of that was honestly just a, a fresh breath of air for me because it, it's. I do get a little bit of kickback, not very often. Fortunately, I I know that there are many other podcasters and and brands out there that get a lot more kickback than me. But I do do hear it from time to time, and and it's a it's a common discussion that comes up to where you know I can't help but feel like you know when when you start talking about the the quote unquote influencers and their impact for better or good uh, in the space, it's kind of like well, I mean magazine articles and editorials and books have been around forever. It, this has kind of always been Let there. Let me see. Let me see. There's one. There's 1940s, <laughs> 1970s. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like anybody that wanted to have a voice in it could have had a voice in it. We just kind of live in a day and age where it's easier, quote unquote, for somebody to do it. But, you know, it, it it's kind of like, you know, you, you, you vote with your feet and vote with your money to where it's like, you still have to have something quality to say or people aren't going to listen to you. And it's like, who are we to really pass judgment on the other people? Like you, exactly. you said that there's so many things to, to touch on in different ways. It, I personally don't mind having 20 different guys out there talking on the same subject in different ways. I mean, that's kind of yep. what founded the podcast for, for me and, and how I go about yep, doing exactly. things. And there's so many things to unpack there to where, you know, Pittman-Robertson, that's obviously a thing to where that excise tax, how, how much has that been responsible for ground and, you know, the habitat being put on the ground and birds uh, that we enjoy to hunt? Gun clubs. Yeah. These guys are building gun clubs with pittman I mean, you're right. And, you know, I really strongly caution people, read everything, but, but, but pick and choose what you want to do or follow when you read some of these social media stuff, you know, make sure people are credible um, because you don't want to, because I've corrected some of these things on dog training that this is the only way, this is the only way I got to do it. And well, 
yeah, that's in a way, but this way might work too. And and so I really encourage people to look at that mentoring. If they're only mentoring they can get is through social media, that's fine. But be careful, make your own judgment, look at everything, read some books, read some videos, and and again, get get your thing. And the mentoring thing, I'm sure it was no different when I was again. I would hunt till dark in the UP, man, getting that last migratory woodcock. And, you know, we all go through stages. And I'm sure I was no different when I was 25 and and uh, doing this and doing that. But uh, we just all need to kind of bridge the gap a little yeah. bit and just we're in this together. We really are in this together. The cover dog guys, the, tri- the horseback guys, the hunters. The new beginners, the guides, whatever, we're all in this together. And if you think of that as your basis, what the hell? What? Why do we have all this separation sometimes? And like I said, if I had it, if you, when you come up and see me this fall, and we have a couple bourbons by the fire, we'll go, we'll really go out Absolutely. of there. Absolutely, I tell you, and it's in a good way. It's really in a good way because there's there's stuff I've seen that that we can do better. Uh, we all can be better at it. I mean, me included. I mean, I think Pine Ridge and my wife and I do a lot. But we can do more and it's a more and like you said, it's time and ideas or even like you said, voting, yeah. financial. We all can do better. My wife just walked by and she only hears one <laughs> part of the conversation and she's walking by shaking. Oh, my God. He's going already. I hear this for 45 minutes. Oh, God. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean. He goes, wait till you marry <laughs> Yeah. You, you make so many good points, but, you know, the, the people, I mean, first and foremost, I agree, everybody can do better. And so the few detractors and, and some of the emails or messages that I've received over the years, and again, I, I'm thankful that it's been very few, it hasn't been that many, it, it does genuinely come from people just, you know, we have to think about the impact of the type of hunters coming into it, and they don't particularly enjoy or agree with the type of hunters coming into it. And my response to them is always, well, go, go mentor them. You, you know, you can, you stand on your yeah. soapbox. Don't come, you don't do come something. to me complaining about the soapbox that I have. If you have something to say that's better or more profound, then go start your own soapbox if you care that much. But if, if you only care yeah. so much to send an email to, to people that you don't know, it's like you're, you're not changing anything. So if you truly want a better caliber beginner hunter coming into what we love, then you have to go mentor and teach them yourself. It takes, it takes go to your neighbor, kid. Go mm-hmm. to a boys and club. Go to the boys and, go, boys and girls club in your local city. Hey, anybody want to go shoot 22s? Yeah. Or yeah. go to the boys and girl club and give them a hundred dollars and say, Hey, I'm going to give you a donation, but pay with this money. I want everybody to go through hunter safety. So I got to do, I mean, things like that, that, that make ours, there's negative in all our sports, but there's a lot of positives too. So if, if you can't take somebody out, go to a, go to a school district and say, Hey, principal, you got a kid that's having some issues. I'll take him out hunting for a day. You know, or I'll yeah. pay for his hunter safety, or maybe I'll take him fishing. You know what? It's it's one hour, two hours in this kid's life. You might make a difference, and and really, that's all we need to do. It's not it's not a big deal. And if you yeah. don't have the time, throw some money at it. I always said if if you're bleeding or dying, and it can we can spend money on it, we're okay. You know, yeah. if you're not dying, you're not bleeding, then we can throw money at the problem. You you can figure it out some way or other. Absolutely. Well, Jerry, I know we could go on all day on something like this, but as as we start as we start kind of trying to land this one and wrap it up, 
I, I want to go back to that fire and uh, we say we are on that second round of bourbon. What comes up generally more often, the the dog breed discussion or the shotgun discussion? Both. <laughs> uh the, one one of the cool things about Pine Ridge Grouse Camp is we've got a we got really great guides. I'm pretty proud of our guides that helped me out and helped my wife out. But they all, all have we've all got different type breeds of dogs. We've got French Britneys, English setters, Llewellyn setters, draw towers, English pointers, Gordon setters, uh some short hairs. What else have we had? Uh that's that's a lot of dog breeds. Right. Um and so it's kind of neat that we can people that that have come to me before and say, "Hey, I want to with a different guide every day, and that's fine, but I want to see what breed I like." And and perfect. And and you know, two people can learn how other people handle dogs that way too. So that so we're obviously uh, we're obviously a pointer place. We've had some flushers come through, and that's always fun because I usually end up guiding them because nobody wants. <laughs> which is fine. That's a whole other story. I love flushers, by the way. Um, you hear the knock on the wood probably, but anyway, uh, so that's a big thing. We had one guy here that we were all kind of by the fire and you know, the, the meme of, uh, oh God, good fellows with, uh, who's the act good fellows, but he's the lead actor. Good fellow. Ray Liotta. Yeah. That was doing, he's in a suit and laying back. Ah, somebody said that. So we're all sitting by the fire, about 20 guys. And one guy said he had a little bit to drink. He goes, I bet you my cocker, my, my, uh, yeah, my cocker spaniel can find more birds than your damn pointer, you guys. And it was dead <laughs> silent for like 10 seconds. Like everybody's like trying to process what he said. And all at the same time, all these guys go back, oh, start laughing. And this guy, oh, no, shut the hell up, get out of here. And so, but, uh, you know, we had a really great discussion. Why they, Somebody asked me, why would you, why do you want pointers and why don't you like German dogs? I tease people about German dogs. I think German dogs are great once you know how you want to hunt. But don't tell me you're going to spend 95% of your world upland hunting and 10% duck hunting. That's why you want a dog that can retrieve. Go borrow right. a buddy's dog. And, and if you're going to do 50% this, 50% that, you want to use it for deer tracking, that's great. And I had to, and this again, my my opinion, I know you're probably going to get 10 letters on this, but why, <laughs> why, why? If you do 100% pointing, why have a dog, and I'm thinking more, not most of the short hair, but like some of the Francais and uh, these other stuff, why have a dog that can do everything average when you can have a, a dog that does one thing great, and the one thing that you do, that's all I do. I mean, I'm not tracking foxes. I'm not doing right. duck searches. I'm pointing dot birds. And so that's kind of why I like that, and I do like the style of the setters and pointers. Uh, I'm, I'm wearing, I'm starting to break down. I think you find the right breeders of French Britneys are really, really nice dogs. I like their size for people that want a really nice house dog that don't want the big dog, but want a good bird finder. Uh, there's some nice French Britneys out there. Um, but I, I used to run setters for a long time, but made a switch probably about 13, 15 years ago, more so for the heat. And then I, I started doing a lot more training. And I can, we can finish a dog up a lot faster on a pointer than we can on a setter. You know, all dogs mature a little differently. And that, that was one of the reasons, but I, I, I mean, my God, I feel sorry for the guys that are going to be in Montana tomorrow, supposed to be 90, 95, and they're going to be running setters tomorrow. Yeah. You know, I, I am worried about some people burning some dogs up 
And uh, so yeah. t- if you if you hear this podcast driving out, be smart on your dogs. Please be smart. But uh, I, I mean, we've seen some good. You know, I like the setters and pointers. Their heads they run higher. They cover more ground. Uh, they don't crowd their birds. Part of that's dog training a little bit. They don't crowd their birds. How we teach it. Um, I've seen some good draughts come through here. Uh, if I was a pheasant hunter, that's all I did. I'd buy a draught. I just I can see that. I just I love the the game recovery is awesome on those dogs. Uh, I like how they run. I run. I want a bigger running one that can go through literally anything. But uh, and if I was the quail guy, I'd be I'd be the pointer guy type of deal. But there are, you know, there are people, you know, and obviously I know you've talked about it on your podcast, guys with pointing dogs and the field cockers, you know, doing a lot of that on the point, a lot of plantations and quail putting put take places they're doing that. And that's pretty fun. You know, you get a little extra work for your pointer, but not a big deal. So I'm thinking about getting one of those dogs and trying it out with my pointers up here in the woods. Uh, yeah. I think it might be, be really good for grouse. Woodcock might be a little odd, but... Uh, but so yeah, that's one discussion. Then it gets really detailed about breeding and and you know, like I said, we always talk about the NAVDA stuff. And I I love NAVDA. I don't participate. I belong. But it, like for what we said, it's a great way to get people in the sport that don't know anything. And I love that. I, I love more people doing that. And then the gun side, that's uh oh boy, <laughs> we kind of dictate a little. Dick Dan and I kind of dictate that discussion a little bit more than probably other camps with Upland Gun Company, but um. You know, we talk a lot uh, side by side, over and under. Most of the people that hunt here, are side by side guys, uh, real traditional. Uh, few over and under people, zero semi-auto or pump gun guys. Uh, very, very none. I will. I, if they won't. They're not. If they bring one, they borrow one of our guns. They borrow a gun company gun. So, you know, a lot of that we t- a lot of that we talk about the twenty-eight gauge and the twenty gauge and the sixteen gauge. The you know, the pros and cons of both a lot. And we talk weight and, you know, I mean, we, I'm a big English stock guy, straight stock guy for the traditional grouse hunting, uh, double trigger. I love for grouse because once you get proficient slide back on that double trigger a little bit for those later season grouse that are on point or they're going to be more spooky and you don't have the leaves and you can reach out and touch them a little bit with that second shot. I'll, I'll lower the shot size of like a six or a five even on my second barrel so I can go back to that double trigger a little bit early season. I shoot eights and nines. Uh, then I go down to seven and a half. And once the leaves get down, I go sixes, seven and a half, depending on, you know, what the leaves are like to bring down that shot size to get a little bit more power, so to speak. But, uh, the guns are always a fun, it's always a fun discussion. And, uh, it's been, uh, it's been fun. And, you know, a little bit about the gun company, obviously we work with you a little bit and, You've got your video coming out with Dell. Uh, that was awesome. Um, Dell's Dell's a great guy because we talk pressure loads and and uh, we were one funny story about Dell. Him and I are sitting at the after a gun fitting one night and we were talking about wads and this and he goes, Jerry, damn it, Jerry, you know if people just would the the book that Greener did in 1855, it's the same discussion they had in 1855. I go, Dell. You and four other people in the last 20 years have read that damn book. I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to read a ballistic book written in England in 1855. That sounds like Dell. That's yeah, why I love it. Absolutely the guy. does. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we talk a lot of loads, and, you know, he really, it's that's a, when you see him next, that'd be a great podcast about really loads and pressures. And, you know, we 
told Dell a, a, a really lightweight 12 gauge that he'd hand loaded some stuff up and, you know, you're getting the same pattern, you're, you're low velocity. It's just a lot fun. There's very fun to shoot. And that's a whole nother topic with somebody of his knowledge and skill set. But we do a lot of that type of stuff and talking and, but uh, there's a lot of, a lot of good outdoor topics around the campfire. And uh, those tend to be two of the better ones. And then yeah. food too. How do we how do we cook the food and what Hank's doing for dinner? So <laughs> yeah, that's that's another big thing this year. I know you have a, a special guest chef coming up. You got a couple chefs uh, that of note to to really pitch. But yeah, Rachel Ryan's from Kentucky. is a barbecue girl and Mexican uh, woman, and she's not but a Mexican chef. And then Hank Shaw. I think everybody knows Hank. He's coming up for the full season and uh, a great story so him and i are on the phone we're talking back and forth a couple times and we finally agreed to everything and and he goes hey one question do you guys have any squirrels there <laughs> i go squirrels i said god i've got big fat corn-fed gray squirrels that are getting into my pigeon my i feed crack corn to my pigeons and they're into my pigeon coop all the time all right good so he's all excited we're gonna have some pigeon or a well, we'll probably have some squab or whatever. We're gonna have some chick or uh, squirrel food, and uh, and it's nice. So we'll do a little hunt. We'll do a little hunting with Hank one day, and and uh, do some fun stuff. So yeah, that's kind of our season in a nutshell. And we'll be rolling pretty hard. The bird numbers are good. So like we talked about earlier, bird numbers are good everywhere. So please turn off the Green Bay Packer football games <laughs> wherever you're at and get out in the woods. But. Uh, but no, one one thing too, I want to tie, and I I literally can I can go for days. But <laughs> we talk about back to the dogs. One thing about the dogs, and I see it every year at Pine Ridge, is when people come, their dogs aren't ready, their dogs aren't in shape. They they come see me, they get off the couch, get here, they hunt for three days, they're shot the first day, they're shot the second day, they're shot the third day. You everybody has time, and and. And I say this to everybody, have realistic expectations on your dogs. Don't expect your dog to get off the couch or the kennel and come right into the woods and perform. Doesn't work. I've had kids. My If my son didn't study, Parker didn't study for a spelling test and got an F, why should I yell at him? It's on him. If he studied, got an A or a B, good. If he got an F, dumbass. <laughs> but same with your dog. If your dog comes up to hunt, and you're you're seeing me to hunt, and it, it's it's out of it's fat, it's out of shape, it's not conditioned, it's not controlled. That's not on the dog. Why are you why are you e your dog? Why are you yelling at your dog? Why are you ruining your buddy's hunt by yelling? That's on you. You didn't prepare your dog, and it could be a simple thing like we talked about a fun run. Don't you know? Maybe not. Maybe going out to a pheasant club, but the biggest thing is in shape and condition, and fun run. And I know I I do a lot of stuff with Ukanuba. It's really it's it's getting them slimmed down. If you're going to be hunting for the season, man, get get the thirty twenty dog food. Feed a good. I know our 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 dog foods. I think is the best. And I used to be a other guy for law thirty years. But feed a good dog food, not the day of the hunt, a month before the hunt. Run that dog a little bit. Toughen up the pads. It's a big thing. Get the dog in shape, and then you know what? You might have an hour where that dog is a goofy, crazy. Now, and I'll help you with that at the camp because we got birds and everything. But if you do a little bit of prep, and it doesn't have to be training, just getting that dog in shape, 
you're going to have a much better hunt with me or where if by yourself or wherever you go, if the dog is in a little bit of condition. Like I said, I know you're, you were going to hear it. Guys are going to go out West and it's 90 degrees and they're going to run their dog for three, four days. and They haven't put the time in. Not good. They haven't, you know, they're still feeding kind of more of a uh, maintenance blend dog food right away. And they're going to go right to that higher protein stuff. They're going to be wired a little bit, get that stuff in their system, 30 days, get it in their system, get that muscle built up. But that that's something I see a lot that really everybody's busy. But again, if, if you're passionate and love upland bird hunting and you're going to come see me, you know, have out of respect for your dog, have it in shape, have it somewhat ready. And we can help you tune it up here at camp with pigeons and chuckers and wild birds that we have on our property, but get the dog in shape. I really, really stress that to people. Yeah, I try and preach that as much as possible, too, because so many people are concerned about the number of dogs they're going on a trip with. And they don't ever really kind of stop and think, well, if my two dogs were in better shape, would I even need that third dog in the truck? Great point. That's a good and. You know, it's a big trip and, you know, going out there with one dog is, I think is very tough because a lost porcupine, a rabbit hole, a twisted knee, a born ACL. If you're a single guy, single woman going out there to hunt by yourself and you got two dogs, if your dogs are in shape and you're smart, you can get six, eight hours a day, you know, and taking a break. I mean, you don't, again, we all can afford chicken, but you know what? Run that dog for two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening. Run your other dog two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening. Guess what? We're yep. eight hours. Have fun with it. Be smart. Be but you can't do it for not absolutely. Shape. And if you did something like that, that you can run it, you can run these dogs for two or three days, yep. you know, or four days, whatever your C- trip is. Cycle them in and out. So that, that, and, and honestly, the the what yeah. I tell people is it's easier just to keep the dogs in shape year round than it is to exactly. come. I mean, it's the same thing. It's true with us too, but especially as as my first dog is getting older she's approaching 10 i noticed that it, it takes her a little bit longer to recover and so i don't want to beat her down to where she has to quote unquote recover like that i just keep it steady and so i keep them on 30 20 year round but i keep their activity level up enough to justify that and what other, you know what other people a big mistake is that everybody wants to run two dogs at the same time because they can hunt more and and you know if you only got two dogs man you know what if you got oh how about yeah. my younger puppy with my older dog let the younger puppy get its own confidence and learn especially if you're on a hunting trip if you're going to see me for four days we're going to rotate that dog in and let that puppy get a bird contact you know and and uh the, like i said if you go out west rotate your dogs there's a time and a place to run two dogs at the same time but not early season you know not early yeah. season so i just i wanted Absolutely. realistic expectations and feed good dog food I tell you, but I don't care what yep. you feed. There's four or five. Just feed good food. Obviously, feed ook. Yeah. But feed good dog food because you're going to get the best out of your dog by feeding a good brand of dog food. For sure. And we all know those people that claim their dogs can run all day. And it's like, well, yeah, your dog can possibly stay out there all day. But what quality or caliber of hunting are you getting out of them? It's one thing to be physically out there, but you need the dog actually out there and able to perform both mentally and physically. And if your dog's out of shape, then you're just not going to get that work out of them. I, you know, I, I need a dog for 60 days. I need to have a dog for 60 days and I, I have to feed good food. I have to be exercised. It has to be in shape, let alone the training, but I need a dog to be on the ground. Let's say every day for an hour or two or every other day for three hours. And, and, and the dogs are vital. They, I mean, they're our business. I mean, 
there's no Pine Ridge without good dogs. Yeah. Think about that. And so we have to take care of our dogs. And it's just so, I see so many just, oh, God, you guys, you know, help your dog out. So <laughs> I, I would really stress that. I would really stress that. So. Absolutely. Well, Jerry, I know that you and I could probably talk forever on this. We might have to bust. Bye, bye. Did we go long? I don't even know. Did we go long? Uh, no, I mean, we're right at an hour and a half. So oh, uh, not nice little pace to, to wrap it up. But we might have to bust out the mics around that campfire this fall. I look forward to coming up. We'll and, do it. Hello, round table. Yeah, have a little round and the table. the inside edition of Pine Ridge Grouse the, Camp. The full experience. With bourbon. Absolutely. Uh, before, before you go, I just want to re- two points with people. Go have fun have fun with your dog and don't put too much pressure on your dog. If it busts a bird or you miss a bird, just, this is not, this is fun stuff, you know, and, and take your time and relax and enjoy what your dog's doing. Enjoy the work that you put in the last five or six months. I see people do that a lot of times. They put all this work in, they get frustrated. Relax, relax. This yeah. is, I, I tell people all the time. We're not in Russia right now. <laughs> we're allowed to hunt. We're allowed to have dogs. We're allowed to carry guns. We're allowed to have fun. So just enjoy that. And two, you know, uh, got any questions, shoot me an email. People have or shoot you an email to get to me. Uh, we could have talked guns forever. Uh, you know, go to the website and build a perfect grouse gun. We'll call you. Um, and you got, like I said, any dog questions with me or the camp, whatever. Uh, we book up pretty fast. We're about a year out. So talk to me in January, February for 2024. But uh, just promise me people will have fun. And that's all all that matters. That's what we're out there after. And again, Jerry, I appreciate you making time. It's that time of year that we're all chomping Ooh. to just get a few more weeks out. But it's uh, that, that list. Uh, that damn Nick Larson talked to me in one of those Garmin watches. You got <laughs> one on? Yeah. You have one on? So I had never used one. And he, Nick talked me into it. And I bought the Fenix 6 a couple of like, weeks. And it came in the yep. mail today. It came in the mail today. It's like, God, more technology, Nick. <laughs> So I got a, I got a, I got a new timepiece. I have to figure out, and if I don't like it, tell your listeners it might be for sale. If I don't like it, <laughs> I'm sure you'll. I'm old school. I, I, I think you'll appreciate it once, uh, once you get the two things. All you need is is the watch and then the dog tracker. I think you're gonna really like it compared up. That way you're not looking at the screen, right? I know. I don't carry a gun though when I when I'm guiding. True. So, true. But uh, I, I don't tell anybody on the in the podcast world. I've listened to Nick Larson. For God's sake. <laughs> I don't want Nick. To uh, get we a can't big let hat. your reputation suffer like that. Who listens to him? No, oh my God. <laughs> That's fine. Exactly. All right, guy. We'll talk to you later. Yeah, I appreciate it. All right, bud. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode presented by Standing Stone Supply and DT Systems, Onyx Hunt, Finerize, and Upland Gun Company. I really enjoyed kind of sitting down and, and interviewing Jerry and getting to know him a little bit better. And, and uh, his reputation precedes him. I mean, everything that everybody's kind of told me about him kind of shined through throughout that conversation. Namely, his you could just hear the passion and and 
just the priority that he puts or emphasis he puts on mentorship and and helping people uh, get started, especially in this in upland hunting and what he loves to do. And I mean, just the just the fact that, you know, he has owns Pine Ridge Grouse Camp, which, you know, that uh, that there's probably no way of actually putting a number or, or impact that that place has had on so many new hunters or people like he said in the episode bucket list hunters or or old time hunters that they just want to come and, and shoot grouse and, and experience camp for what it really is. And and it really kind of just goes back to finding that social group that that everybody kind of falls into at some point or another that really appreciates everything for the same reasons that you do and and not not from the same uh, opinion standpoint, but just for the same uh, same factors, the same thing that motivates me uh, usually motivates you know my buddies that hunt with me and stuff like that. So with, with that being said, you know with it being hunting season, you don't have to have an actual grouse camp or big group of buddies or anything like that. But I would behoove you to, you know, take the mentorship to the next level. Try and find somebody new to take, whether it's somebody that's been wanting to go with you for a few years and you guys just haven't really found the opportunity to do. Try, try and find that common ground or, or the the open uh, date in the calendars that you can take somebody new and, and really kind of break them into the sport that you love uh, for the reasons that you love. You know, it's, uh, it's really great and... Uh, impactful for yourself when you get to take somebody new, especially if there's success on the hunt. But when when you can take somebody new and they kind of, they're drawn to it for a lot of the same reasons that you are and, and they get hooked on it, it's really rewarding for the mentor just as much as the person coming into it. And for those that just haven't really experienced that yet, it's kind of hard to put into terms uh, what that feels like when you get to take somebody out for the first time. And then next thing you know, you're three years in and uh, it, it's an annual occurrence for you guys to link up and go hunt and and maybe share a camp or, or uh, you know, have one of those debates around the bonfire that Jerry was talking about after you get two drinks in and you're arguing dog breeds and shotguns. And that's what it's all about. It's uh, it, it, it's great. And I mean, we use the word throughout the episode a few times, fellowship, and, and it's hard to get around that. It, you know, it can be corny. It can be a little over romanticized at times. But at the end of the day, that is kind of what it is, is it, it's like that upland mentorship, so to speak. So anyway, find your camp, whatever that is, the, the group of guys, uh, if you like taking new people, what, what have you, just figure it out and, and hunt your own hunt. You know, it's uh, as long as it's safe, legal and fun. That's that's all that matters. Not everybody's going to hunt the exact same hunt or for the same why, but that's why you got to keep going with new people and, and take new people out to figure out exactly where and who your camp is with. So uh, with that being said, afterwards, talking to Jerry, he offered up a, a couple items. Uh, what I want to do with this is I want to hear a couple hunting stories and maybe even camp stories. He offered up for the, somebody who sends me a good hunting or camp story via email, shoot it to me at gundogityourself at gmail.com. Just give me a, a really good quality hunt and camp story, something that just comes to your mind. It doesn't have to be anything specific or what have you, but uh, it, you know, I'll pick one, uh, one email and I will send them an Upland Gun Company hat and hoodie as well as a Pine Ridge grouse camp hat. So if you have any interest in those items, then by all means, shoot me your story. Even if you don't have any interest in those items, by all means, shoot me your story. I want to hear and uh, I want to read some good, 
good uh, hunting stories as well as camp stories. So it, it's just it's just a lot of fun kind of getting some feedback from listeners like that. So uh, by all means, shoot them to me. Again, it's gundogyourself at gmail.com. With that being said, I do in the show notes have the link to the gun fitting video up on YouTube that Jerry and I were talking about in the episode. Check that out. That's uh, It literally walks you through the entire process as to why we get fitted for a shotgun, the elements of a shotgun fitting, and uh, how that pertains to actual hunting. Uh, so if you have any interest in, in terms of that, by all means, hit the link below. That's with Dell Whitman. He does a lot of gun fittings for Upland Gun Company. They work together quite a bit. And uh, you can go back and, and listen to his episode that I've done with him in the past. But uh, it, it's, it should, if you have any questions on the fitting process, that video should answer it for you. And with all that being said, I'm not going to pitch anything else. I appreciate everybody for stopping in and listening again. This is the heart of hunting season essentially right now. We're kind of coming up on that, that golden month, that October. So it's, uh, it's pretty much here. I hope everybody's had a great start to the hunting season uh, thus far. And uh, hopefully it only gets better. Get out there, stay safe, have fun. Appreciate it as always. And uh, we'll see you back on the next episode. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just have to replace it again and year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.